This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Stacy Westfall, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show, the Western Dressage episode. This is episode 588 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Coming up on today's show, I talk with Diney Swanson about the Western Dressage World Show online and Ida Norris about how riders can determine what level they should be showing in. Joining me for this opening segment, I have once again Diney Swanson, the Executive Director of the Western Dressage Association of America. Thanks for joining me, Diney. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, we are both right in the middle of things, although I have to admit, for me, things are now winding down after uploading my final entry last night, and I'm guessing things are kind of still winding up for you guys. So what I'd like to discuss right now is the World Show online version and the staggering number of entries that I've kind of heard rumors about. Yep. What Um, was the number? (laughs) The number right now, I'm looking at it, the total rides in the show is 2,397. Wow, 2,397. We have had a few scratches, um, and I've obviously been speaking quite a bit with our show secretary, Susan Peacock, and our show manager, um, Cindy Reed, and she's also the lead steward who's uh, with her team checking so far they've checked 2,108 videos Wow! and <clears throat> we're waiting on 225 all of you out there I guess this will be later but yeah, yeah we're waiting on <laughs> we're waiting on 225 which isn't bad um no, but typically 10 percent at a regular horse show 10 percent scratch okay. um, we have way fewer than that yeah, that's, so, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's a huge jump. Do you happen to know the the numbers of the in show attendance, like when it was a live show yeah, in Oklahoma? We had about two hundred and fifty, I think, when all was said and done last year at the World mm-hmm. Show, and that was a huge show. Okay, o- wow. over you know four days of tests and one day of rail classes. You you know you've been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say that it was a, I'm so glad you guys did it. And it was, but it was a huge learning curve for me as the exhibitor entering the show, not the entering part. I mean that the online entry thing was just like kind of any online entry for any show, but the actual making of the test and, and that, and I come from a YouTube heavy background to begin with. And I was still like, wow. This is this is an educational curve, but I'm so glad I did it. But I'm also over here like I can't wait to interview you when things are all said and done and we have like first of all the blooper reel from people trying to videotape at home I think would be hysterical. The stories I've heard are are funny like cat bomb oh, videos yeah. and Lots dogs and children and I heard a black bear showed up in one. And we had a moose. A moose. <laughs> we actually, on Social Corral, on the WDA Social Corral, we have a blooper post going mm. for people to uh, post them. And then, then we're going to give a little prize to who gets the most likes. Well, yes. I, I mine, <laughs> mine weren't as exciting. I did have an explosion go off during my ride. Like, oh. the next door neighbor was lighting a fire. But it was like, you can you can hear it on the video. And my horse jumps forward. And I was like, 
I'm done recording. We're yep. using this one. We're using this one. <laughs> like, well, you're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a good learning curve for everybody. Yeah, it has. And so many good things, though, coming from it. So, um, yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about what's coming up next? As you said, we're recording like right on the bubble of the videos closing and then the next phase coming up. And since I'm now going to be in the seat where I can sit back and just watch, can you tell me what's coming up? Well, it's probably going to drive most of you crazy because (laughs) judging starts on the 22nd of October and runs until November 5th. And you will hear that your test has been judged, but you will not get your score because it being judged does not equal it being scored. Mm. If that makes sense. It doesn't really. If you want to. Well, if it's judged, I mean, if it's judged, the judge has finished looking at it and now it needs to be sent to the scorer. Mm. And we have we have judges that have will be receiving a pile of you know 120 tests that they have to judge all in a row all at one time, um, or at least you know they can take several days to do it obviously, um, but those will then be sent to the scorers and then the scorers will you know score them and then we'll figure out the placings. Okay, so this will be a lot like if I was at a show, the judge would score me and then they would hand it to the office and then the office would run their tally on it. Correct. And then the office would then post it. So that's kind of the same thing, but virtually. But so we have so many tests and we have we have our judges are all over the country. Mm -hmm. So they are sending their tests back to the scorers and some might be mailing them back and some might be scanning them and emailing them back. So it's going to take a little while. So we will not be posting results or scores until probably around November 12th. Okay. So you'll hear that it was judged, but you're not going to get your score until around November 12th. Okay. That's good for people to know because You know, we've already all started nail biting, so. (laughs) (laughs) We will be putting that out, you know, in our newsletter. um, And then we'll be having our big celebration. Hopefully people will find it fun. Um, Mm -hmm. Our online Zoom uh, award celebration on Saturday the 14th. Everybody will get a notice about that on how to join. Um, And that's where we will be announcing the overall high you know the overall high score awards and the breed high point and the division buckles and all of that will happen on the 14th okay okay yeah well that's a little breathing room for us and I'm I was actually kind of interested because I jumped over on the page and noticed that the number of judges kind of jumped up which I'm guessing I'd heard that you know obviously the the that was a possibility depending on the number of entries and you had a lot of entries. Yeah, we had to we had to add nine more judges. That's a lot of judges. That, that is, is so awesome. And you know what I've been enjoying is that a lot of the videos because the instructions are to upload them to YouTube. It's been really fun because even though we might not have the scoring going on, mm-hmm. I'm actually happy with the fact that you know, we can jump on and, you know, you there's going to be 2,397 more videos of Western Dressage on 
the on YouTube. <laughs> Somewhere to find on YouTube. Yeah. It depends on whether they make them public or not. Mm-hmm. Some people can make them um, unlisted. Yep. Which then you can't find them. But yeah, there's a lot. There's just going to be a lot up there on YouTube, which is going to be great. It is great because That's I know great. that when I was getting started, it was sometimes hard to find a demonstration of a specific pattern that you wanted to yep. see. Yep. And I think that once we get through the end of this, that's going to drastically change. So exactly, yes, there will be lots of samples out there, which lots, is great. Yeah, lots of samples, and so mm. wow, I, uh, I am, I'm, I'm sending my best wishes to all the judges that are about to embark on this because I hope they've got more experience than I did with this whole learning curve of virtual stuff. Because the things I thought were going to be easy were hard, and some of the things I thought were going to be hard were easier. And I was like, that just didn't didn't go the same way it does in live in the in the live world but here's what I do know is I will be utilizing more of this with myself in the future and I'm going to really encourage especially some of my clients that come from a reigning background and haven't gone because of the commitment of going to a show and they've kind of got conflicting like they might have a reigning show the same weekend I think this virtual showing, which I'm hoping it sticks around, is is going to be a great way for me to get people introduced to the sport of Western dressage. So I'm excited that this is happening. And that actually leads leads us directly to the scoop that I'm going to give you. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so a lot of people have been speculating on what the future will bring. I didn't even dare and ask. One thing... <laughs> And one thing I can tell you is that the WDAA World Show will never again be online. <laughs> our, our World Show will always be in person. Okay. It will always be in person. And, you know, from now until who knows when, it will be in Guthrie at the, you know, around the same time as it always is. Okay. And if September, beginning of October, this was a special circumstance and we just had to pull something out of our hat to, you know, to get this pulled off this year. Mm-hmm. But we also will offer a minimum of one very large online show. And we, by I mean, WDAA will be offering a large online show to the world um, mm-hmm. once a year. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and so the plan is right now, and this is tentative, is to do something early summer, late spring. So it'll be good for the northern regions and hopefully good for the southern regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it'll be a, in an international something. Mm-hmm. We don't have a name for it yet. Uh, but it, it will not be the WDAA Western Dressage World Championship. It, it will be some other name. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love that idea. Actually, I was, I was speculating, but I was actually going to try to control myself and wait to ask you until after all the smoke <laughs> cleared from this one, because I, you know, I was, I was telling my husband, I really enjoyed going to the world show and having the world show as it was, but there are lots of different um, associations that do shows that are very big, but they're not the world show. For example, the Congress comes to mind because I'm here in Ohio. Yep. Ohio Quarter Horse Congress is as large as world shows would be, but is not. And then I remember hearing like the Paintorama or what, you know, how they, they, there's names that people come up with. So 
If anybody has an amazing name idea, feel free to send it in to the WDAA. And, send it to uh, Stacey. No. Send it to, you can send it to me too. Send it, you can to, send, yeah, send it to WDAA. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can send it everywhere. I, if you have a really good one, post it everywhere. And uh, yeah, so I think that... Um, I think that is a really good idea because there is something fun about being able to let people uh, compete from everywhere in the world and bring horses that like my little horse Presto, I would not have entered and and hauled him down there, but I did enter and I learned a lot by doing it. So that's awesome that you guys have already decided to do that. And I'm super excited. I want to thank every horse show judge I ever see again in person. Thank you for judging and thank you guys for putting on the show because having a show at my own barn virtually mm-hmm. was like, was I, I, I missed having the real thing. So yeah. <laughs> we will always support real judges. Uh, um, I mean, real shows. That, real is, shows. that is for sure. Yeah. In-person shows. I That's say. in-person shows. Yep. So, well, thanks again for joining me. And um, I look forward to the next time we talk, finding out what stage this will be at then. I'm excited to see who, how this all plays out. So yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We would like to welcome ProStride as a brand new title sponsor for the Dressage Radio Show, including the Western Dressage episode. ProStride is the all-natural solution for lameness. It uses the power of your horse's own blood to relieve pain, reduce inflammation, and improve mobility to keep them sound. ProStride can be completed stall-side by your veterinarian in just 20 minutes with no need for trailering. ProStride is backed by years of science and success stories. Olympians to pleasure riders, trainers, horse owners, and their veterinarians trust the improved performance and lasting results reported with a single injection. No series, no daily supplements, and no monthly regimen. When every stride counts, demand the difference they deserve. Ask your veterinarian about ProStride. Learn more at pro-stride.com. That's pro-stride.com. Tired of having your boot sucked off, bit stride by sticky mud? Mud control grids are the solution. Frustrated by mushy, slippery messes at the paddock gates? Mud control grids are the solution. Is keeping the ground underfoot stable in your sacrifice areas and dry lots causing you to lose sleep? Once again, mud control grids are the solution. You're seeing a trend here, aren't you? Well, Han Plastics Mud Control Grids really has come up with the best solution. Unlike other plastic grids on the market, mud control grids can be installed directly on top of the mud. Let me say that again, right on top of the mud. You don't need to do any ground preparation. The mud control grids are an instant solution to your high traffic muddy areas. No more having to fill in with sand, gravel, shavings, or even old carpet. What's more, mud control grids will allow grass to grow underneath of them so they can be taken back up once the area is dry or recovered. Or you can leave them right where they are and take over again when the rainy season comes back around. Han Plastics mud control grids are designed to be installed as a temporary or permanent solution. You can take them with you with you move. Put down a lot, put down a few. Add more each year. The ultimate mud control solution. Check out Han Plastics mud control grids at mudgrid.ca. 
Oh, an added bonus, your tractor or gator won't sync up to its axles with Han Plastics Mud Control Grids in place. So there's that. www.mudgrid.ca Joining me for this podcast, I have Ida Norris. Ida is a licensed USEF dressage judge and USEF Western dressage judge. She is located in Vermont, but she has mastered the art of coaching and teaching virtually. So if you want a consult or anything else, she knows how to do that stuff. Thanks for joining me again today, Ida. It's nice to be with you, Stacey. Thanks for asking me. Well, last time I had you on the show, we discussed the idea and you brought up how cool it would be to discuss the levels and what level a person should be showing at. And so I would love to talk to you right now and know more about like from the judge's point of view, understanding what level I should be showing at because I have a full confession here. In the Western world, money is what moves you up or down. So in my world that I come from, if I don't, if my horse doesn't have any money earnings, I'm allowed to be in certain classes. And then as my horse earns $500, we're out of those classes. As they earn $5,000, they're out of those classes. So it's a very black and white in my world of the Western world because it's this money earned. <laughs> so I'm over here going like, I, when, when, how? So could you please shine some light on this for me? Sure. I'm over here giggling because I've been in dressage forever. There's never any money. (laughs) We're going, oh, could we do that? (laughs) It's all about those elusive scores for us, those percentage points and those, you know, 10987654321 numbers. It's all about the numbers for us. So we're going to talk numbers instead of dollars. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Different numbers. (laughs) Numbers. What a bummer. Well, here's the thing. You know, at the top of every level of your test, and that's one thing every rider, trainer, judge, you know, everyone involved in dressage, Western dressage, classical dressage, reading the top of the paper is your number one goal. And that's your homework. Because at the top of every test, it gives you what the purpose of each level is. Mm-hmm. And the judge is looking, did you meet that purpose? So let's talk about intro, which for us is walk trot. And, you know, in so many divisions, walk trot is about children or it's about green horses. But I really love Western dressage that walk jog, walk jog is really about any horse, any rider, any pony, any mule, any person, any age that can only for some particular reason only walk jog. And I think that's great because it isn't about whether you're a new rider, you can be have ridden forever, but you can still be in walk jog. Or maybe you've moved back down to it because of your own personal unsoundness and you're there. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool intro level test. And it says at the top, that it's an introduction to the discipline of Western dressage and the horse performs only the walk jog. The rider should demonstrate correct basic position, use basic aids, and understand the figures. The horse should show relaxation, harmony, and the horse accepts the aids, influences of the rider. The jog should be a natural gait within a horse's natural scope and should demonstrate a swinging back, and all jog work may be ridden, sitting, or rising. What's significant about this is that 
and I'm just going to be kind of like, not PC here, but <laughs> it doesn't have to be on the bit, or it doesn't have to be in a frame or in a headset. Whatever words those terminologies mean to you, you don't have to have that horse in a frame or a headset. And so this can be a horse that comes over from another division. It can be an elderly horse. It can be a beginner's horse. It can be an advanced horse. So if the horse will walk and jog this pattern around quietly and it has its head in some kind of level, not completely above the bit, not completely below the bit, and not flipping its head all around, just in a steady, some kind of steady balance, a rider can sort of get sixes. You know, in six, the number six means satisfactory. Five is marginal. Seven is fairly good. And so the thing about intro is that the horse has to be able to walk and jog around, and the rider has to be able to steer without the horse being really, really, really upset and mm-hmm. flinging his head around and swishing his tail. Okay. So some riders come in and they're just going to, I'm going to set this horse's head and that causes a lot of disharmony and they sort of get lowish marks because a lot of disharmony is happening. Some riders come in with a horse that as long as it's not super above the bit and it kind of will take a little contact and it'll kind of steer around and they kind of get six, six, five, maybe an occasional seven. And so now they're sort of in there getting maybe a 65, 66. They, they look okay. Then you have riders that come in and they're a little more sophisticated. Or maybe the horse has a little more training or it has more natural talent. Who knows? Mm -hmm. That horse is sort of in a little bit of a headset. You know, it's kind of in, you know, a nice pleasure frame or a round frame or maybe a little hunter. Maybe had a hunter that came over and started doing Western dressage and is kind of in a little bit of a, you know, frame together. Mm -hmm. And those those horses jump right up seven, seven, five, eight, because they're a little bit round. So what I'm saying to you here is that at this level, the judge has about three things they can judge. They have about 30% accuracy. Do you go exactly where you're supposed to be? The halt square, you're right on the center line, the halt square and stops on, on the spot the circles around, they're the right shape, you have harmony. So you have accuracy, 30%. Energy or forwardness or impulsion, does the horse look active? It's going willingly forward with enthusiasm, not out of control, not fast, not slow. That's Mm -hmm. worth about 30%. And 30% of this semi-connection, harmonious, And the more the horse shows, the more the judge can judge it up, the higher those scores go. So for me, if somebody comes to me and they're an intro and they're talking about going to basic, there's a couple of things happening. Of course, basic requires you to lope. So you, so before you would go to basic, you're going to be able, you need to be able to lope. Mm -hmm. But if they don't tell me, that they're, they have to get at least a 65, 66 all the time. I say to them, and I'm hoping they're really closer to 70. Mm-hmm. So, back to 70. If they're not, which is satisfactory to fairly good, if they're not doing that, something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. 
the horse's mouth is open. He's flinging his head around. It's hard to steer. He doesn't go forward. He's too quick. Somebody looks like they're out of control. Maybe the rider is green enough that they're bouncing around and their hands pulled by mistake, and so that disturbs the harmony. But if you're not at intro getting a 65 regularly, almost all the time, you need to review all those things. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I like how you divided that into the, you know, the, the, the three different areas that the judge can judge on because right now I'm sitting here dying to ask you the question, does that percentage change as it goes up through the levels? Like, is it still the 65, 66 or 70 when you get to like level two versus level three? I'm going to control myself and slightly. Yes, it does. And does we're going to talk we're going to okay. talk about that. So let me run to basic, which is basic is very similar. And I use about the same percentage points on basic. Okay. In that now at basic, you do have to lope. But the figures, the figures themselves are still very easy figures in that, you know, it's kind of 20 meter circles and center lines and, um, you know, walk and, and lope and, and simple turns, very simple turns. But you're still at the same thing. You've got 30% accuracy, 30% forwardness or energy or impulsion, whichever activity, that it's freely forward. And now the contact is still 30%, but they're starting to look at that contact. They're Mm. starting to see, will the horse give to the rider's hand? Because now you do have to make 20-meter turns and the turns are a little more complicated and there's a few more transitions and will the horse give uh, as it comes into and out of the transitions, you know, it's just not bracing on the rider. And so that is still there and you're beginning to look to see if the horse is showing that it'll go around the turns and bend a little bit. So minimum 65 and up in that level. Because otherwise, you have not, you are either not accurate, you haven't worked with the horse to be supple enough in its jaw and pull to have a soft connection, your hands or your seat aren't good enough to get that, the horse isn't clearly in front of the aids if he's looking lethargic, or if he's rushing, you don't have your own position or your own half halt stabilized enough to assist your horse for the right tempo. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing, I, I like what you said earlier about consistently. So when, when we look at, let's say somebody moves up into the basic and they, they manage a 66 on one, but you're saying you kind of would like to see that, you know, you'd like to see some consistency to whatever that is. So if it's 70, it's not yeah. like the first time you get a 70, you automatically jump up. No, it's more like, can you get a 70 repeatedly or yeah. which? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. What if- you came to me and you said, hey, my season's been 57, 58, 59, 61, and one, uh, but I got 169 from one judge. Yeah. Did you have a good day that day? You know, there was something about your horse that day that the judge really appreciated. Um, judges tend to be quite consistent, so it is hard to fool them, but once in a while, you'll, you will get lucky and you will get someone who's who's a generous judge or you will have an excellent day. We all have an excellent day once in a while. Yeah. And we go, wow, <laughs> how'd I do that? And yeah. You're getting 59, 58, 59 all the time or in general or frequently. That's not okay. 
you need to look at those tests and say, what am I missing? Yep. And you're missing something basic. And these are the basics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about the uh, training pyramid and you start right at the top with, you know, rhythm, relaxation, contact, impulsion, straightening, collection is developed from those above that. You're missing something and you're not meeting the purpose of that test. Level one is coming and level one and level two are for us in Western dressage, they are jumping off points. Level one is the, um, it's the highest level of like the judges for small R's. There's a break point there where we're not expecting the horses to show true collection yet. But here's the thing that is really different about level one is that now right in the description on the front page, it talks about consistent contact, consistent contact with the bit and lateral and longitudinal supplements is now they're looking for that. And here's the thing. In level one, there are now all these 10-meter turns. So now you have 10-meter circles at the jog. You have um, lengthening in the jog. You have serpentines with tight turns. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't talk about what things are designed for failure, but these tests at this level are designed for you to either show that you can maintain a continuous impulsion steady tempo and the horse keeps stepping while you turn or you fail continuous impulsion. And so what happens is riders start making these turns and they don't realize they have to keep the RPMs on the engine up (laughs) while they're turning. And these horses start slowing down and you look at their hind leg and they're taking little tiny steps around those 10 meter circles and they slow down because the riders were half vaulting to A, bend them and B, keep them on the bed or together in a frame or in a connection. And instead of the horses maintaining the impulsion, energy, forwardness, whatever you want to call it for energy forward, they slow down, they stop bending their hocks, they stop taking weight behind, they go on to the forehand. Mm-hmm. And this t- these tests are designed to show if that's going to happen and you have to overcome that. Yes. Yes. So now you're looking, it is a little bit harder. Now you also have leg yielding to learn, and you have to be sure that you know how to get some lengthening out of these horses. So you're working on your jog lengthening. Now strengthening. You know, almost any horse, unless it's unsound, can can go out and walk, trot, and lope. And so that means the intro and basic, unless a horse is really unsound, can go right out and ridden well and kept fit and presented well should be able to just, you know, those are walk in the park. They they should be able to go right out and mm-hmm. do that if you have knowledgeable trainers and riders and presenters. But level one has some skills coming and level one requires some actual physicality of the horse, like the lengthening the horse got to be fit enough has to be able to lift its shoulders enough to get the four legs out in front of it. It means the thoracic sling has to work. That means take more weight behind and lift the shoulders. Now some connection to the bridle. Now we're looking at the horse is more reliably on the bit, and they refer to it as consistent contact, which means the pole is going to be the highest point. Mm-hmm. He's going to give in the jaw. His base will come 
not on the vertical, but it's going to give some in the top line. The back is going to back fuel. That's one thing that I think people are looking at these patterns and they cruise through intro, they cruise through basic, and all of a sudden they get into level one and they didn't allow their horse time to develop the physical strength because you're developing an athlete. Mm-hmm. And they call me up and they're like, wow, Miss I, I just cruised through these two levels and I got here and then my scores really went down because the judges can see that the horse doesn't actually have the top line muscling or the strength to perform consistently through the test. And it was a time thing that the horse actually has to be fit enough to do this. It, mm-hmm. it has skills. Yeah. Yeah. That, I love that you bring that up because I can feel that like um, my young horse that I showed in the online Western dressage world show in the basic level, you know, uh, like I feel like the training is solid, but it doesn't matter how solid the training is because the strength isn't there. I mean, right. there is, they, they go hand in hand. So I love that you're bringing it up because I can feel it. I'm, I'm still chomping at the bit to get to, to the, to the even higher levels because of, because of some personal questions there, but like, but yeah, so like, um, but a lot of times people will be like, why don't you do more or whatever? So I love that you're answering that, especially that for me, I could really feel the difference, you know, as you move up through showing my horses this year in the classes compared to last year at the world show, I can feel the strength that they've developed in the last year. And it's just from the repetition and the practicing and just getting, they get a little stronger, they can hold it a little bit longer. And then that just spirals like an exercise would towards getting stronger overall. So I love that you bring that up and, and that, so level two, what's that dividing point between first level and second level? What is it just more? It is just huge. And it is a, it is a watershed for most, you know, classical dressage, Western dressage, it is a watershed. It truly, truly is. Because now the interesting thing is, okay, we have this strength we're talking about, and I love that you mentioned your young horse because I'm thinking to myself, aren't we lucky? And purposefully, those intro tests and basic are very, very short tests. You know, walk, uh, walk, jog, lope, reverse, walk, jog, lope, and you're done. And those tests are like four or five minutes tops Mm -hmm. to it. Because we were thinking, you know, people, when they write these tests, are thinking it could be an unsound older horse, it could be a young horse without enough strength. And then you look at those level one tests and you go, oh, my goodness, these are much longer tests, you know, lope, um, you know, lope lengthenings and turns and the trot lengthenings. And the tests are actually longer, mm-hmm. which is another concern we were just talking about in you talking about the strength. So going to the second level another jump, the tests get longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking for, and I'm just going to read level two on the front of level two, test one. It confirms that the horse having achieved impulsion required in level one, remember the continuous impulsion, mm-hmm. meaning that you can really turn tight turns and the horse will keep engaged, now accepts more weight on the hind legs, which is collection, moves with an uphill tendency, Uh uh-oh, no (laughs) more pulls low and shoulders low because Mm -hmm. now we need uphill, especially in length and paces, and is reliably and lightly on the bit, Uh uh-oh, no leaning (laughs) on the bit. A greater degree of straightness, bending, suppleness, 
self-balance and self-carriage is required. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, and then if that wasn't enough, now begins the lateral movement. And, you know, those are like shoulder in, Ron there, haunches in. And, you know, we have the collected lobe. We have 10-meter uh, lobe circles. So we have a lot going on. Level two not only requires this quality improvement of the horse, meaning that we've spent time physically, actively getting the horse more athletic, that it can take more weight on the hind legs, that the thoracic sling works. Now you have these skills, shoulder in, haunches in, um, these exercises that we're expecting the horse to know, the simple change is also in second level, which is canter, walk, lope. Sorry, I've been dressage forever. <laughs> lope, walk, lope. And that has to be clear. No jog steps um, is what a simple change is. And sometimes we actually get people in competitions that are showing it lope, jog, lope, because they didn't read their test clearly and they didn't read the rule book and when you do lope jog lope you don't get a four because a four is insufficient a four happens for somebody that maybe does like lope walk gets the wrong lead has the correct it and then gets the right lead they actually did everything but they made a mistake so they get an insufficient Somebody that's in the wrong gait altogether and doesn't actually perform any walk at all anywhere is going to be like three, two, one. Mm. That's not a four. It's not just insufficient. It's like the difference between a D and an F. Yeah. Yeah. There is a difference. And it's, and everybody that's doing something wrong isn't getting a four. They might be getting a three, fairly bad, two bad, one very bad. So you can't. It's very important for writers not to blow off the instructions or being very clear about what's, uh, what's needed. For me, in second level, there are people out there that can sort of slide by, kind of get a 62-63, which isn't so bad it's in, in level two because this is a hard level, very hard level. But when you look at their tests over and over, if students are not, if they're getting fours on any of the lateral work regularly, I don't let them go on. Or I, or I can't say that I can't let them because they can. They just do whatever they want. You know? <laughs> Sign up and pay for the class. There you go. You're in. <laughs> You're in. Yeah. I, I do tell them, I don't think this is appropriate. You're not meeting the requirements. You need on your lateral work, riders and horses need to understand exactly how to produce a shoulder in. It's there because shoulder in is needed to produce collection. And this is the number one exercise forever in history for the whole world to produce collection is shoulder in. And if you're getting fours all the time, you can get a 63 with two fours on shoulder in because you can get an eight on the center line or a nine or a 10. You might be able to get a seven or an eight on the lengthening. You could, you could, you can make it up on some of these other exercises where you get good scores. But if I see people in level two that their lateral work is not a minimum of a 6-0, which is only satisfactory, and a 6-0 has problems with it. If you're in shoulder in and you got a 6-0 for me, I'm going to say to you, 
unsteady connection. Uh, probably the angle and bend changed. Uh, needed more engagement. There were things wrong with it. You did it. It was okay. It's sort of a C plus. Mm-hmm. But that's not fairly good. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really important in second level that you have really, really a clear understanding, the rider and the horse, of the lateral work. Third level is, has got the same problems with it, more and more collection and more and more uphill. And we really should talk about self-carriage, that the horse will stay inside of the bridle without leaning on it. And in these levels now, and we should at least mention it, it we're allowed to ride in curves and we're allowed, allowed to ride with two hands. And that's awesome. Whatever the horse needs for bridle is great. But if we see that they're keeping the horse on the bit by retracting the curbs constantly, that those curbs are pulled back all the time, then that horse isn't in self-carriage. What we're looking for is that they flex the curb, the horse comes onto the bridle, and that at some point, for at least a moment or two, there's some release, even if you have to use the bit frequently to keep the horse round mm-hmm. or bent. We're expecting that, but we don't want to see that the horse is leaning on those curbs or the rider is leaning on those. And in third level, more self-carriage. And now the half pass, the 360 pivot, um, the lope, which we're looking for the horse to be on the bit, but there's a release of the reins. And the same thing coming in level four, there's half pass at the lope, flying changes half pirouettes with the lope. So lots of complicated exercises that you actually have to learn these exercises. And we're thinking that this should take time for the mm-hmm. rider to learn these and for the horses to learn them and develop the strength to not only do them, but do them with good quality. And so we're thinking that, you know, in these upper levels that, you really should not be thinking about moving it up unless most of your elements that you can clearly, that you don't have many elements that are less than a 6-0. You know, and it's one thing, if you had a test, let's say we're in third level test one and your test went like this, eight center line, you know, seven, seven, six, five, seven, six, five, four. Okay, had a mistake. Six, five, six, five, seven, four. Six five seven seven seven, and that person comes out with like a sixty six or a sixty seven, and they said they would say to me, "Am I ready to move up, Messiah?" I'd say, "Yeah, you only have you have two fours. Just look and be sure that those two fours were just genuine mistakes, and they're not on the same movement. If those two mm-hmm. fours shoulder in, then you don't move up until you get shoulder in six or higher." I love how you just combined that. I love how you combined not just the overall score of let's just use like, you know, uh, 70 as a, as, a, as a benchmark. But like, so I love how you combined. It's not just did you get a, a 70, but look at the detailed of each one and say, are you consistently, yeah, maybe you're really accurate on your center line and your halt, but is that hiding the fact that you keep, you know, getting a really low score on your shoulder in? I love that you broke it down kind of on two levels with the numbers. Well, it, it, it makes quite a difference for people. 
And they have to be real clear with themselves. In these upper levels, there's a lot of rider skills involved, and we don't even talk about it yet, and we're kind of a young sport, but classical dressage people know this, that these tests theoretically lead us from level to level to develop our athlete horses and to, to keep them sound, keep them healthy, and, and to bring them to higher and higher levels of rideability and comfort. Additionally, though, these tests are incredibly complicated, like quick turns. I just did a half pass. Wow, I got to change the bend. I got to do a zigzag. Now I got to go flying change and go the other way. The tests are also designed to improve rider skills, and the riders have less and less and less time to prepare for the next movement. So by level four, some of, some of the riders out there, they have less than one quarter of the short side to be ready to do something else. Yeah. So it, that that is the perfect that is the perfect lead in to um, the second segment that I really want to have you talk about. I, I'd like you if we could take a break and then come back for the trainer segment. That is exactly what I have in my notes to talk to you about. <laughs> awesome! I'm so excited. Thank you. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability, Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, Ida, we just came back from our little break here, and I really do want to pick up right where you started heading towards naturally, which is, okay, for the trainer's tip, there's a lot to unpack combined with what you just talked about from the judge's point of view, but the first thing is, man, does that happen quick. One thing I noticed when I was recording is that like the basic level test, I could memorize. Second level tests, because I was riding a bunch of them, I had my husband read for my second level and my fourth level. It is shocking that on the fourth level, you can pretty much say, read it as fast as you can read it. <laughs> and I was like, you know, the only exception for that is when I do those circles out there in the middle, like, like after you tell me to circle, like look up and wait a second and then just go. And he still at certain movements, like coming down the center line and doing you know, turns on the haunches, turns on the forehand, turns on this and that and all this stuff. There were times that I was ahead of him. You really do have to learn some of those tests because they happen fast. What's going on there? <laughs> yes. 
They are amazing. Well, and bless your husband for being willing to uh, read because that my husband is like, oh my God, please don't make me do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so terrifying to have to read, you know, like, oh no, I might cause you to have an error. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, still my responsibility, honey. Don't worry. Yep. But yeah, being really familiar with your test is necessary because there are times um, when you just can't almost read fast enough. And writers, one thing we know about writers, I know this and I tell my husband or my reader, because I do need a reader sometimes too. We're doing a lot of tests. Don't read anything while I'm actually doing a transition. I'm so busy writing, I can't hear it. You'll have to read it ahead. And it is so hard to keep up. One thing we were talking about before was that the tests have several purposes. They are to lead the horse from you know, like a scale of education, like the training pyramid from the beginning of the work until a more finished athlete. And theoretically, if you if you follow our test and you allow time for the horse to gain strength and confidence and become become more fit as he uh, works towards his collection. And it's true that you can't just jump on a three year old and do level four. I mean, you can. Some people's horses do things, but judges always can see that the horse lacks the top line. He lacks the strength. He lacks the balance. He lacks the mental maturity. Like these lead a horse from the beginning to the end. And although you can jump in and possibly get around a pattern, in the end, um, the things that will show, the weaknesses will actually show and the horse will have strength uh, and balance problems in holding it. Additionally, we were talking about writers. The tests are designed to be more and more complicated for more sophisticated writers. You know, can you change the band easily and smoothly and quickly? And you have only a few steps to do it sometimes, or one. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're half passing at the lope in one direction, you do a flying change and you immediately step down into the new band. These are also how sophisticated are our writers and we're a division that doesn't talk a lot about writing lessons per se, but it requires a lot of writing skill and writers can use a lot of coaching sometimes in the correct aids for all of these new and exciting, more complicated exercises that they're doing. And they come up fast. Mm-hmm. Very fast. Yeah. We were talking about the fact that we want writers to sort of meet levels of expectations And there are a number of points that I was hoping I could go over real quick with you about where to, where to make points in the test at each level in order to make the break points of where they might consider moving up. Oh, I would love that. That sounds like a great thing. Yeah. The first thing when I'm coaching or teaching is I tell people, I don't ever want to see you mess up or send a line again. I'm a tough teacher, (laughs) but, you know, it's real simple now that we're taping some. For those of us that have been doing some virtual work, you know, they look at their own tape and I say to them, hey, I don't have to nag you. You can see, A, behind you, that means you're not on the sun alive. Mm -hmm. And on their taping, they're like, oh, I can see, A, well, you're not bisecting, you're not covering it. You know, you've got to be in front of that. You've got to be on that center line. And there are two center lines, and I always say to people, I see little tiny kids on little tiny ponies with little tiny 
jogs, you know, and they're kind of off the bed and they don't do a lot of, like crawling across the the free walk, you know, it's like going across the Sahara Desert. There's a lot of things that take talent or or time, but center lines just take practice and they don't take talent. Mm-hmm. So I say to people, you know, you don't have to have a fancy moving horse to get a tan. And I give tents. Mm-hmm. And I know my colleagues do. Mm-hmm. So work on your center lines. There's two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Once That's a great point. Tent, once you can get an eight to a 10 on a center line, what that also means is that you've been doing 100 center lines a week. And when we're showing, my students do 100 center lines a week. Mm-hmm. And the thing about doing 100 center lines a week is that by the time you get to um, like level one, there's four or five movements besides the center lines that you have to turn to the center line. And if you're used to getting eights, nines, and tens on center lines, you'll never miss the center line again, which means that you won't be losing points on the movements that require you to turn to the center line. Yeah. I love that you brought up the virtual showing aspect of it because I did some tapes from the center line and then when I was reviewing them realized I've never seen my own ride from the center line because wow. if I'm at a show the judge is at the center line my videographers always along the side maybe they're at the end but they they're never exactly at C I've had some from A so I guess you could argue but like I've never sat and watched it from seeing and that was eye opening for me. So I love that you brought that up because yeah, it was like, yeah, this is a great learning tool that I just discovered by entering a virtual show. And I could have been doing this all the time. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We tell our videographers and husbands and whatever, even if they're just holding up the iPhones at the show that if they cannot judge, if the judge will not allow, sometimes the judges in classical dressage will allow you know, a photographer to stand up next to him with the sound off. But if, that, if that's not allowed, and a lot of places it's not, that we want it from A. Yeah. And we want them right behind A with as much, you know, with some zoom, because if we can't see it from the front view, we can see the back view of exactly the judge sees that you were off, uh, how you were off. You see their view in reverse. And this becomes really important. It does. Mm-hmm. As, and it, oh, it, it, go sorry. ahead. as well as the halt dog one of the things we're losing a lot of points on is lack of immobility in the halt Mm. and riders um three seconds minimum of three seconds for the salute every time they ask you to halt unless they unless the directives specifically say halt and immediately do something which we don't have any tests yet that say that stand there because immobility is not only the horse, but the rider. Stop jumping around in the saddle, I tell my people. I don't want to see you adjust your underwear. Don't jerk the saddle around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's not only the rider uh, is disturbing the picture of the harmony, but maybe the horse shifts and lose points. Yeah. So... Those center lines, those halts, be sure they're square, be sure they're immobile. Don't lose points on those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of the other things that are really people don't think about, for example, I was just judging um, in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago, 
and had somebody in level four come in, unbelievable halt. I have my pen already. I'm on eight, nine, ten. I'm thinking, oh, please move up beautifully, move up. I've got you, you know, at the halt and the salute, it looked like a 10 if they didn't blow it after they moved off. And do you know the woman walked out of the halt mm. instead of jogging? And at that level, it's a four okay. because it's inefficient because it said she was supposed to jog. And you have been moving forward out of the halt to the jog since level one. And so at this level, so many levels up, it's like a college student not spelling good correctly. Okay. It's, it's such a, you know, you're so far up and you've been doing this for so long that this skill, you can't overlook that. They were in the wrong uh, gate. Mm-hmm. So it's not a little deduction. So if it says move off in whatever gate it says, you are going to have to be there. You wouldn't think anything about it if it said you were supposed to halt and lope off and the horse jogged off instead of loping mm-hmm. and would you would go, oh, the judge gave me a four. That's a little, people don't have trouble understanding that one. Mm-hmm. But they don't get this, oh, I walked before I jogged. And that means two things. It means the horse isn't in front of the leg, which also might be under the general impressions at the end. So yeah. simple, simple things like that can lose you a lot. Um, easy things to fix, for example, you know, if you're at basic, it's the first time you're loping, and I see that, oh, my goodness, you get the wrong lead. Okay, you get the wrong lead, but fix it. And a judge goes, okay, she fixed it. That's good. Uh, but if you're at level two, three, four, and you get the wrong lead, and what about if someone at that level never did get, let's say, for example, they were supposed to do a simple change, and they were on the right lead, and they walked. And they never get the left lead. So in the first box, in the first box, the judge has to be like, well, this is definitely insufficient because they never got the right lead. But not only is it a mistake, because if she if she was on right lead and she didn't get the lead the first time, but she got it the second time, she'd get a four, which mm-hmm. is insufficient. But now if you never get it and you get to the next letter and you haven't corrected this, that's going to be lower than a four because if you have a hundred people in a class, that isn't all a four. How do you break those people down? Well, that's a worse mistake. So now that person's on three or two or whatever it is, it's lower. Mm-hmm. So let's say that they're still on, they still haven't got the left lead. They never got it and they're loping in the right lead when they should be on the left lead. And they're progressing through the test. So it's not an error of test because they're on course, but they didn't, they didn't get the lead. Again, it's more than insufficient because you didn't stop and correct it. And it's worse at higher levels because it's one thing if somebody at basic does this because we sit there and go, well, the horse is green, the rider's green. Maybe the rider doesn't even know they're on the wrong lead. Yeah. I mean, they're new. They're learning. We expect that. But goodness, if this would happen at level three, level four, and amazingly, it does. This happens. So when you make a mistake, coaches, like I always say to people, if you know your test, 
when you read your test, you know those lines between the boxes? Mm -hmm. What that means is that I'm judging until the next line that comes across those boxes. So let's say maybe on, like, level three, it says, uh, A, working walk. And then box eight says, K, B, free walk. I'm supposed to judge A, which is the working walk, until the very next uh, letter that it says do something, which is box eight, it says KB. Everything that happens before K gets put in that box seven. Mm -hmm. So if you know your test well enough to know where those lines are, where the next movement starts, and it's worth knowing, which coaches get after people about this, you need to make a correction. You've already got a four anyway, so you fix that horse. Make a correction because if you don't and you're still in the wrong lead in the next box, you're down to three, two, and one in the next box also because you're still on the wrong lead. So you better have some disharmony, get it over with, and get it done before that next line comes. Then it doesn't reflect in two boxes. That makes a lot of sense. And so I think that's the kind of stuff that I see – uh, being different from the judge's point of view versus the trainer's point of view because, you know, the judge is giving me feedback, you know, through the numbers and through like your, you know, your example of uh, you shouldn't walk into that. <laughs> I don't know how you'd write that as a judge, but, you know, walked into, you know, the, the, the um, jog. So, but then as the role of the trainer, what you're saying is outside of the, um, you know, the, your rider walks out, this is the kind of stuff that you're coaching them on. You're coaching them on know your boxes so that you know how to contain. <laughs> I, what I like that you're talking about is sometimes I go to my coach and I say, I'm going to make mistakes. I need to know which mistakes are like less painful, less like, yeah. can you help me weigh my mistakes? Cause we're actually not even, I'm, Perfect's probably not going to happen. So what I hear you saying is if you know where the box is, it's like, so you come up on the wrong lead, get this change before you get to the next letter in, of the next box and the next test. So there's kind of this, um, there's this, oh, the, like it sounds a little bit like it's the judge's point of view, but even the trainer is understanding what the judge is seeing and coaching the client how to ride that test better. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And coaches, um, you know, some, some coaches are really cool. You know, there are people who teach riding lessons, and there are pe people who coach, and then there are people that really, really know how to do both. You know, teaching riding lessons is teaching people how to ride the horse. You know, yeehaw, get a better performance out of them. Coaches really know how to improve a performance per se. Exactly where can I get some points? How about a, a super coach knows your strengths? and knows your weaknesses. And they might even say to you, and this happens, look, your horse doesn't show me any overtrack at all in the walk, and we're, gonna, we're going to a show next week, and we don't have any overtrack. But we know that a judge appreciates stretch, and we know that a judge, if the horse's back looks loose, if you can get the horse to relax, even though it doesn't overtrack, you might be able to get a 0.5 more. Instead of a 6.0, we might be able to get a 6.5. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. this horse doesn't physically actually overtrack, and we don't have time to 
it takes sometimes a year, a year and a half to develop a horse's walk for overtrack. If it doesn't have it, we don't have that. But what can we do to optimize this performance? Mm-hmm. Oh, we know that he bucks in his left flying change, and we don't have time to fix it this month, but I need you to get two eights on the summer line. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, so like, I like that. Riding, and a coach that knows where the lines are in the performance. And this is where it's very important as a trainer, not just to train the horse, but to help in, in this. In our division, there's a lot more to our performance because it's like gymnastics or figure skating that one exercise leads to the next. And when one exercise fails, that was the setup point for the next exercise. And so knowing where you can make a correction and how fast you can do it or that you should do it, that's part of the coaching. And that training becomes, that as a trainer becomes very, very important to help those people learn. Well, you know, that's actually the perfect lead into my final question that I maybe should have put into the judges uh, segment, but we're going to put it in here. Is there ever a time, like if I'm riding my horse and I, and I go out there and I start showing in third level and I start seeing my scores are down or things are wobbly. Like I honestly don't know much about moving down because again, I opened this with the idea that in my Western world, once we (laughs) earn a certain amount of money, there is no going back. What would your advice as from a trainer's view or the judge's view or just, just your own view on like, when does somebody move down a level? Well, I love that we have no limitations on this. Mm-hmm. I, I love classical dressage doesn't really, you know, either per se, that a horse can change riders and have, you know, like I, I have my personal horse was um, ridden by an intro rider this year because her horse went lame, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm whipping out the pack and trying to do a different level, but that's okay for people. And um, it's it's very good for us. And I'll tell you why. It's excellent for the horses to back up and review things and perhaps have less pressure because we were just talking about how complicated uh, some of these tests are as they move along. And that can make pressure on horses, riders. You know, relaxation is still second on the, on the uh, training tree. And it's not just relaxation of the muscles, but emotional relaxation that the horses are not, that they're comfortable with the work, that they're confident with the work. So I do say to people, um, let's say you go out and you're at a particular level and your scores are going down and we start to look at that level and say, and, and a good one is flying changes. Yeah. When horse starts flying changes, no one, trainers don't talk about it too much and judges never address it. But for a horse really, really to get flying changes, to own a flying changes a year. This year, you can mm-hmm. pop a horse over on a change and you get lucky. You go to a clinic and you pop a horse for the first time over on clean changes. You're like, Woo-hoo, I got changes. Yeah. <laughs> but reliably, without disharmony, without bolting, without mouth open. How about late behind? How about not jumped through reliably a year? And a lot of times when you get into that, um, that disturbs the horse's performance. And it becomes anticipatory. Sometimes trainers even have to drop the change for a while. They just stop doing changes. And so they move down the level. 
and they go back to a level that has no changes in it to get the horse to relax again in a ring. And and what if what if it's something like I'm okay at home, but then I go to the horse show and there's so much more energy level and tension and mm-hmm. swag, baby carriages, I don't know what, the riders are more tense and the horse has some problem in his mind with I'm at a show and I'm under pressure to do those changes. So how about going back and, and dropping down a level and that's awesome. Yeah. We see this sometimes. I think one of the other moves that uh, the other couple of moves that can sometimes be this is the horses that come over to us um, and have been doing spins and they get up to those levels that have uh, the turns on the forehands coupled with the pivots and the one and a half. <laughs> yeah. And those horses get to these enlivened show facilities again where they kind of click out and go, whoa, I'm in raining. <laughs> yeah. So they go maybe in the arena. Maybe the arena looks like the arena they were in before. And now that speed picks up mm-hmm. and settling them is harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and how about if you drop down to a test where there weren't any turns on the forehands and no spins? Yeah. And went back to a a test that was comfortable. So I love it that our our division allows this, and this is always a conversation with yourself, you know, your horse, your trainer. um, Even even you call up judges and say, hey, I'm I'm here. What do you think? But you have these conversations with yourself and decide what's best for you and the horse because – I love that I saw a quote this morning from Kira Kirkland, dressage uh, enthusiast from Sweden. All those years ago, she was a world champion, and she said, what's the difference between a good rider and a great rider? And a great rider has a super particular attention to the basics. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought all that up because I think it just really, it, it speaks to the understanding the horse aspect of, you know, looking at the horse's experience. I love that you brought up like the reigning horse that could be triggered by that and, and, um, and the horse anticipating the lead change and needing to just, I love all that, that closing advice. So thank you so much. And I know you're located in Vermont, but you also coach and teach and, and do consults virtually for anybody who's listening that wants to reach out to you. Where will they find you online? Well, they'll find me on Ida Norris Dressage on Facebook, Ida Anderson Norris or Ida Norris Western Dressage. Um, Google me. I'm sure it'll come up. We'll put links to those in the show notes also so they can find you easily that way too. But I, I think you're right. Those dressage, those, the Google searches work well. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I could talk to you all day about this and, and I'm still, I'm going to, I'm going to hunt you down when I come up through Vermont next year. I can't wait. Thanks so much, Stacy. It's always fun to talk with you. Thank you. Well, Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western dressage saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. 
The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. Thanks again to Diney Swanson and Ida Norris for joining me on today's show. In next month's episode, we'll be discussing gated horses in Western dressage. If you're interested in hearing more from me, I have a podcast, and you can find that on your podcast player by searching Stacy Westfall Horse Podcast. Or you can look at my private Western Dressage Facebook group um, by looking up Western Dressage with Stacy Westfall on Facebook. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website over at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for Dressage Radio Show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.